0: That's a um, <laughs> that's um, not the theme song for All About Aesthetics. That's actually a sneak preview. I've been working on a piano. As you know, this is the ten. This is this will be the ten-year anniversary of my hard listening, my invention, and um, first hard listening album. And um, for that anniversary, I'm writing a solo piano work and you know i was gonna i'm gonna basically like to tour or play you know at a a piano much like this um uh this new work this new piece and so i'm gonna do a kind of a double double bill i'm gonna do sort of play some older material like the royal blue trickle suite which i did it so 2013 to 2024 this is the new one. Should I say what it's what the name is of this? Should I say, it has, um, so, um, I opened it up like the uh, theme song a little bit. The name of this piano uh, piece is called Bob Fosse. That's what the name of it is. Anyway, that's that. I'm gonna go over to my chair here. I have a lot of stuff to do today. This is, of course, um, is all about aesthetics, part five. Uh, and uh, you know, last episode we were we were doing um, um, kind of a little bit more rarefied type show because we were dealing with one of my among my favorite filmmakers. Wilbert Bresson, of course, when I do these shows, you know, I never stick to one topic, of course. I try to bring everything home to maybe a a central person, individual artwork, in this case, filmmaker. And I showed, you know, I talked about how he loved the movie um, For Your Eyes Only. Bresson did, he liked that. So I showed a clip of that and talked about his style. And so I thought I would go in the other direction. to the more popular, I mean, that is more popular certainly than Bresson, and do a, a kind of a popish, a poppy episode. I mean, we're going to do more like this. So I'm going to come back, of course, to a um, leitmotif and of all the episodes, um, Farrah Fawcett. So I've worn the Farrah Fawcett t-shirt. I have the, got the Farrah Fawcett cup. And I'm going to um, redirect our attentions now to popularity in general, pop culture, commercial culture, entertainment culture, stardom, celebrity, sex symbols, um, aesthetics of those kinds of things. Now, it's interesting. I should talk about what I'm wearing. So this is one of the most recent things I had made. And... It's a it's kind of a, a, a it's it's what it's a t- fabric is camel hair. Okay. Now, this is what's really interesting. Look what I have here. I said I would discuss custom Slash bespoke. Those are synonyms As well as well as made to order or sort of lower Level, um, you know clothes that are that you can you can specify details on what you're having made. You can do that with made to order But it's done by sort of machines and a team of tailors um, working with machines. And it's not exactly the most individual pattern. What I'm wearing now, of course, they cut a paper pattern. It's totally individual. But you'll notice this is very similar. Look at this. Now, wouldn't you know it? I don't know if you can see the label here. If you'll read that, it says, Mitch, Andover Shot Mitch Hampton is at 520-something, 97. That means this jacket, which I can no longer wear, this sport coat or jacket, is from 1997. And so the way that I dress, which is just my own thing, admittedly, um, it's, it's idiosyncratic and peculiar to me, is there are things you just have to have because they're practical. So I always, so so things like that is, you say you need a dark suit, for example, or you need a charcoal suit, or you need a navy jacket, odd jacket, or sometimes it's called a blazer, right? Well, one of the things I always like to have is some kind of, not overcoat, not top coat, but camel hair sport coat. And so this one I had designed with the lapels going up up here. To give it a, it's a little sleeker. This is from, again, but I thought it was so interesting. I opened up this lapel. This is called the lapel here, this part of the coat. And if you look here really closely, do you see that crinkly effect? It's kind of hard to see, I don't know if you can see it. Even though this is made to measure from the 90s by Charlie Davidson and Andover Shop, this chest piece, that when you see that, that's a sign of a hand-sewn inner interlining. And that's one big difference between mass-market menswear and, you know, higher-level me- menswear, is whether the interlinings, you know, what you you put the different pieces together, are glued or fused or done by hand. So even though this is machine, you can see the handwork. And I'm going to... um. Get up a little bit here. Um, Remove this. I'm wearing different accessories now, so I'm I'm going to take I'm going to remove this. This vest or waistcoat I'm wearing is part of a suit, and I chose. Don't worry, I'm coming back. I'm just getting my television and getting things in order. I chose to treat the vest of the suit as part as an odd vest, which you can do because I kind of designed my clothing to. Here we go. Getting my television, getting my stuff to be flexible, flexibility. Trying to get my stuff in order here. There we go. Um. Flexibility. Um. And so, you know, when I buy when I order something, because of the, the the range and level that I'm working with and in, I have to choose really carefully. Now I said, you know, in episodes past that I like to wear plain things. By which I mean I like the I always wear some kind of jacket. Because I dress the way they did sort of 60 years ago. 60, 75. And maybe it may not be the style of Literally 65, 70 years ago, because actually the style is about 20 years prior to even even that. But you know, being in your shirt sleeves is like being in underwear. So I'm, you know, to be dressed when you leave the four walls of this home or wherever I am, I'm going to have some kind of a jacket. And so in, in winter you're going to wear thicker things. But anyhow, interesting thing about camel hair. I got out this book, and this is a book that talks about the different. This book was from 1990, and I have it earmarked here. Um, yeah, camel hair. And so I chose a weight that's meant to be worn as a jacket, as opposed to a you know something you wear only outdoors to cover your jacket overcoat or top coat. And it says here, the camel hair, it says, hair taken from the outer coat of camel, of a patrician camel, is coarse and can be as long as 15 inches with a diameter of 20 to 120 microns. Hair taken from the undercoat, however, is very fine and soft, has great thermal properties. It is usually a reddish or light brown color, right? Um, that, and it says that the animal lives in the Middle East. Now, interesting. it says the weave is a twill weave. Now, you wouldn't know it. See, I talked about already that there's these two kinds of cloth. There's a sort of a worsted, which is a hard-wearing cloth that has a line. And that's why I prefer worsted clothing to woolen clothing. They're both wool. Like a wool, worsted is a wool, and so a woolen is a wool. But woolen is more like a sweater. It's got a fuzzy... Um, quality, but that's my least favorite type of cloth because it doesn't make a line. It's a little bit like a pullover or like those things everybody seems to wear these days, those kind of, um, those vests, sleeveless vests, those parka type things. It's kind of, um, it's not that material. It's like a, a sweater type material. It's like a knit. It's more like a knit. And this is kind of interesting because what I'm wearing here is actually a twill, but it's a twill with a finish. It gives it a more plush quality, but you know, of course it doesn't work in a trouser. By definition, because it's not—it's—it's it's what we would call—it's—it's um, it's not a hard cloth like a worsted or a cavalry twill a ripcord. These are all terms. So what's interesting about this book is that they—they have this—they have this, they have this um, here, and you know a lot of these books have fallen apart that I got, and you can see here all these different different examples and different different things in this book. Yeah, and this is one of those those old books. And we're dealing, as always, in this series with things that have volume and mass, or mass and volume. That is, they're in the world. So if we're dealing with books, we're going to deal with a book that folds open, takes up a little space, the one exception, of course, are things on screens, pictures and movies that you put on a screen. Um, but a lot of the stuff I'll be showing, like this clip I'm going to show, are documents of things that were had volume and mass, things that you know were kind of a, either a performance or a book or a art object. And so I thought we would um, just want to make sure I know how to proceed here. Farah, okay. So. On my show, as you know, if 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 you if you listen to my episode, I had Wendy Steiner on. And this is the book by Wendy Steiner. It's a really great episode. I highly recommend you listen to my Wendy Steiner episode. She talks about writing operas, she writes librettos for operas. That's a, that could be its own topic. Anyhow, in this book, the real real thing, the model in the mirror of art. I learned some things I did not know about Farrah Fawcett. I learned that she was a, that her, I believe her last partner in her life was this guy, Keith Edmire. And so I had heard that he had done a project with her. And so I ordered, again, something with volume and mass. This, I think, quite extraordinary document of their work together Keith Edmire is very interesting. He's one of again, we're going to I had debated how I wanted to talk about postmodernism. I thought, well, should I do a series on what is postmodernism? I thought, no. I'm not going to do its own separate series. I'm going to I'm going to involve that topic in, inside these episodes because, you know, depending on how you define the term um, it's so all-encompassing and so vast and so one of the hallmarks, one of the defining features of postmodernism, so eclectic that, I, you know, I, I think it would be best just to include it and not, and not get too bogged down. But, you know, for the sake of argument, or for the sake of um, um, kind of definitions, definitional impulse here, um, well, what is it? Well, um, it's you know the things that happened starting in the late 50s early 60s 1960s the last previous century basically till now and it's those things in culture and art that are committed to being consciously eclectic and kind of part company with modernism or modern, what's before the post, right? And you know, these are very, very inexact, crude designations, so don't hold me to it 100%. But there's enough truth in what I'm talking about. I'm a, So I'm a postmodernist, my music is postmodern. You, know, what may, you could say, well, what makes it that? So, I don't know, um, I just did a concert Friday night and in one of my pieces of music, there's a um, um, a kind of is a kind of an impressionistic passage with these repeated notes. It's very it's a little bit solemn, a little bit stately, and then the music goes off into a rhythm and blues episode which seems to come out of the blue, pun maybe intended. Um, And that's really, of course, very postmodern to do that. Um, There was a book, um, well, I don't don't wanna wanna get too bugged, but anyhow, Keith Edmire um, is one of the people associated with that, one of the many people. And one of the other things that we postmodernists, if I could put it that way, about us is that we're not afraid of the popular. We're not against consumer items. We're not against entertainment. We're not necessarily for those things per se. In other words, we don't, we're not primarily looking to get the most units sold, but we're not afraid of it. And we also, another way I like to put it is that we're world embracing rather than world-denying. So we're not, so, you know, getting back to, again, it keeps yanking doing this, I hate this. Stay on there. Um, <laughs> technology. Um, instead of being unworldly, we are worldly in that sense. And so we would be a postmodernness painter, would want to paint Farrah, Farrah Fawcett or even, have a relationship with Farrah Fawcett herself as Keith Edmire did and make art with her about her life, about his life and about, drum roll, the 1970s. So you'll see here, he's explicit, explicitly obsessed with the 70s as am I and he's 57 years old, I'm 57 years old and this is a video from the Walker Art Center from 11 years ago in which his art project not fair, we'll get to fair in a little bit, is to, you'll hear him talk about it, see what you think.
1: Keith Edmire, as an artist who is very interested in looking back to the past for subject matter, he decided to remake his entire childhood home where he grew up in suburban Chicago in the 1970s. What we're showing in Life Like is the kitchen from that house.
2: I'm depicting the interior of the house from 1971 as it would have looked at the moment that they, they moved in. All the appliances and the furnishings, those would have been things my parents would have been involved with. This period that I was depicting isn't a very collectible period. The stove or the refrigerator are almost considered landfill.
1: Everything from the tiles on the walls to the wallpaper um, was recreated based on family photographs.
2: I would try to do drawings based on, in this case, the wallpaper, and then eventually have it hand silk screened as wallpaper. The present owner had her grandson scrape up a piece of this tile, and I used that fragment to make a pattern, then I had that laser etched onto a piece of contemporary vinyl composite tile. The table and chair set were cast from the only existing chair, so molds were made of that. If you look closely, there's details that you'll find a little bit of my hand in them, as well as there being things that are manufactured. The first time it was installed, yeah, it was uncanny. It did almost function like a time machine, in a way, because I, I had to really just shake myself out of it. No, I'm, you know, I'm actually installing an, an art exhibition. I'm not a child anymore in, in suburban Illinois. That was something I've never experienced with an artwork of mine before. I was really interested in the idea of the period room, but this also this idea of the model home. So almost removing the personal history of it being inhabited. I'm amazed by how many people come to the piece and they tell me that I grew up in the same kitchen, almost identically, or the same kitchen, but it was a avocado green color palette. Removing some of those elements that would have been specific to me or my-
0: So that's very much in keeping with, um, well, what I've been discussing. Um, now, I think he, I'm going to show you some parts of this book because you know I did not know again. Farrah Fawcett and Keith Edmire. Because if you look in this book, let's look at some of his other work, his sculptures. So this doesn't this remind you of Dwayne Hanson? Do you folks know Dwayne Hanson's work, like the security guard and the, you know um but here here's something i didn't know where are we here this is um we'll hold off on that this is this is see this is um let me try to get a that's farrah fawcett and him working on making something. I mean, he wrote to her and they, they became involved. They had, I guess, developed a relationship. And she said that she missed, she missed being a visual artist, that this was part of her childhood and adolescence, that she wanted to recapture. And so they made this work together, sort of very, um, so even though she's a muse in a sense for him, It's still deeply, deeply egalitarian, as egalitarian as you could possibly make anything. Um, This is very famous. This is the Wendy Steiner. The hair, yeah, the finger in the hair is kind of a little bit, you know, like the Michelangelo a little bit. See, this is very much um, that kind of quotation and that kind of. um, But I was quite surprised at something I didn't know about. I didn't know that Keith Edm- Edmire collected 70s things. So we have this dynamite magazine. That's one of his pieces there. Farrah again, dynamite. And, um... I can't. I was looking for. Um, I can't seem to find it now. But he did an evil Knievel tribute. Again, another '70s icon. This is a photo of the two of them. It um, closes the book, and that was their project of sort of mixing sculpture and paint. And you know, she made a statue statue of him, and and vice versa, and. Um, that's an example of, you know, he, he worked with also with Matthew Barney. who's one of my favorite visual artists of the past. One of these days I love to do just a whole thing just on Matthew Barney's Cream Master, you know. And I'm not surprised he worked with Matthew Barney. There's this, there's this kind of overlap there. But um, he's an example of an artist that says, you know, um, in a more modernistic artist like Brisson. Brisson is actually textbook. Definition of a modernist a modernist wants a kind of a purity um, A kind of um, a, pu- a purity wants to in a way Criticize the world Critique the world Deny aspects of the world. I mean of course all artists whatever their category you want to put them in are all dealing with the world in one way or the other but I think the question of attitude and you know the question of how much do you um, borrow or utilize the world is what's going to determine how you're going to be seen and how you will see and how you will um, what kind of work you're going to be doing. This guy we created his childhood home. It's a very um, it's very complex. And so I wanted to maybe have fun today a little bit with some. Again, this is all fair use. So everything I'm doing in this episode, when I use video, it's screen, it's well video clear. clips like the this, owner. Um,
3: Do they give you the same word for the sexiest male?
0: Um, is to. <laughs> Popular culture, popular pop culture, these are things that are really, um, well, they sell a lot, and they're beloved, kind of like figures and people and ideas that are just really, really, I don't know, they're not overlooked, shall we say, and so I thought it was fun. I'm going to. Show some related things from the era. So you could say this is kind of like a 70s episode in a way. But I'm going to, I found this a clip. Um, this painter named Scott Chassis. I got this from him. This is a court Burt Reynolds. He did a painting of Burt Reynolds using a pointillistic. I got this in 2011. And it's proud part of my 70s museum. And so there's a relationship because... Burt Reynolds is of the same milieu and world as a Farrah Fawcett or a Suzanne Somers or a John Travolta. These are, of course, 70s things. And so artists could take a lot of different attitudes about these things. An artist could ignore all these things, of course, right? I mean, these things aren't, you might not be interested. Nothing wrong with that. Again, it's, you know, This is this is the thing about art. It's not not one way to make a movie. It's not one way to make a sculpture. There's not one way to, as we'll see shortly, do a TV show. (laughs) So this is this is from. But what I'm saying is, you know, or you could be like Keith Edmoy. You can embrace literally, not just figuratively, embrace such figures and things, um, and find them worthy of attention. Or you could be like Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse was interesting, because uh, he has a, the reason why his films are so complex, as well as his musicals, as I wrote about him a couple blog posts back, is that he has a love-hate relationship with entertainment. You know, he both, both, hate, he both thinks about it, he really likes the pleasure of it, but he's very much a, a finger-wagging critic of the downside or dark side of commercial culture. But in a sense, you know, this is... Um, let's just watch this clip, because I thought it was fun to... This is Burt Reynolds making fun of it. But Burt Reynolds, one of the things he did, and we did a lot of talk shows, The Tonight Show, and instead of Johnny Carson, Steve Martin, of course, is the guest host in 77. So I thought you would have fun with this kind of... You know the... This kind of thing here, let's see?
3: comfortable having a mustache the, uh, the photo play award that uh yeah coveted metal doodad um <laughs> where do you where do you hang that your house is so beautiful by the way thank you where do you put all your awards? you really don't have much memory on the front of the car <laughs> right on the car there that's nice and they, do they give you the same award for the sexiest male I didn't, I didn't uh, take that one the other night. I was wondering where was you were going that. put that. Well, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Probably me find someplace to. Did you blow yours off, by the way? <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't bring the regular one with me. Today. Oh, good. A spare. A spare? To blow my hair off. Yes, that's all right. Looks good. And uh, this is very uncomfortable to wear this. I, I, don't, I don't mind mine, mind, actually. How long have you had that? Since nineteen seventy-three. Oh, yeah. You didn't have one before that. Did you find people like you better with it or without it? I, I don't know. I find, uh, yeah, I think they like me better with. it. I don't know. Uh, I think, yeah. How many? How many like and would think they'd like them better without it? See, that's not really That's not a fair, accurate judge though because they have seen you with it and they really haven't seen you without it. So. Well what do you want me to do? I mean I can take it off. Take it off. Wild and crazy guy, but I don't know I don't think you're that wild and crazy. So um I'll get it. I'll get it. To the fighting oh
0: So no. he's gonna shave off his mustache in front of a studio. Dun, <laughs> We're gonna
3: dun, take... dun, yeah, this is the. Dun, he's doing it. He's actually doing it, ladies and gentlemen. Oh boy! <laughs> this is really fun. That takes a while, huh? Actually, it's good because it's getting the hair out of my nose, too. <laughs> <laughs> Want me to hold the mirror?
0: Yeah, we do you think? Sure. Okay, now. I'm going to pause here and talk a little bit. So my idea, like a do-it episode, I like to do an episode. I would show this clip. I would show the Madonna Sandra Bernhardt David Letterman clip. Drew Barrymore, I mean, there's different, like different pop culture phenomenon, you know, um, the Joaquin Phoenix uh, mock, his, his extraordinary performance on Ludeman on when he was promoting I'm Still Here is really interesting mockumentary that he made, sort of, um, sort of fake documentary about his nervous breakdown. And he went in character on of course Leninman, if you remember, and I think it was in the late nineties or early two thousands. Um, in character of I'm 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 not here, I'm still here, one of those movies. But there's all these different this is in that in that, in that, in that kind of that. A little bit of kind of oh.
4: Andy Coffer. Am I? Seems so
3: I think so. I think so. How many people like him with the mustache? And then without the mustache? I think. This is a hell of a time to tell me. Yeah, I think you should stick with the mustache, girl.
0: So that's a Tonight Show. Um, what do we got here?
3: They give you the same word for the sexiest? Um, we're
1: over we here for a while Let's when we go. talk about.
0: Yeah, this I is fairer herself now. For a while. Um. This is um, I have uh, so many ideas. Anyhow, that was an idea to do a TV type of a, type of episode, but I thought I would restrict it to the kind of the narrow down the subject matter a little bit and. Um, and um, talk about how Wendy Steiner, Steiner wrote about something I, I did not know about. I knew about Matthew Barney. I was a Cremaster Master fanatic. I am a Queen Master fanatic. If you haven't seen that series or experienced it, I was fortunate to see it at the Guggenheim when it, when it was live and then the films and, and all that. Um, and so to find out that Keith Edmire had, had connected with with Matthew Barney is not at all surprising, Um, of course, given that they're using popular elements. And I use popular, all my music, uh, I I shouldn't say all, close to all of my music is suffused with popularity and show tunes and rhythm and blues and funk and, and all sorts of things and commercial jingles and, you know, stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to play a little of this interview of I don't know it's from 79 so I think she's promoting Sunburn I think it's either Sunburn, which is another one of my favorite movies actually Charles Grodin in Art Carney great picture and or Somebody killed my husband. I think with Jeff Bridges one of those that era kind of era, but I just it's interesting just to watch Just to see her talk and you know oh, I'll be my okay. Make sure it's
5: here. I think you're seeing one of the phenomenon, phenomenon of the 70s, uh, someone who uh, rose from, I guess you'd say, relative obscurity to prominence and a name that's on the lips of most people in America and perhaps the world. Um, I've even heard you call the blonde of the 70s. What do those kinds of things mean to you in your life inside yourself? Are they scary, awesome, are you enjoying it? I
1: think a combination of all those things. Um, I'm constantly surprised when when people give me titles like that. Um, I think what happened for a while, when you talk about going from obscurity, all of a sudden I had a poster that sold the most posters, set a record, and then I had, I was on the most magazine covers, and then I went into a series, which was a number one series, and um, Then, all of a sudden, when you stop and you look around, you think, my reputation is getting so out of hand. It's really preceding what I've done. And that's how i felt for a while. I can remember reading in the Los Angeles Times, before I did my first film, Somebody Killed Her Husband, they had a list of the top ten movie stars in the world, box office. And uh, I think Robert Redford was number one, and there were three or four women, and I was number seven or number eight. And I hadn't done a film at that time, and I thought, this is frightening. <laughs> Don't say that about me. Wait, because it's, yeah. in a way, it is frightening to have to live up to a reputation that's already there. Well, that's so,
5: right. You become larger like than life, and yeah. we all live in life.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, how did
5: that all begin? Did someone come to you and say, you have a certain look that I think I can sell, and we're going to sell it? What? How
1: did it um, all begin? Well, I was going to the University of Texas, and um, my freshman year, uh, a PR agent from Los Angeles started calling me. But how and you didn't I,
5: even know about
1: you? Um, I was one of the ten most beautiful at the University of Texas, and it had never happened to a freshman before. Now, what so year
5: was
1: this? For? I was 68. Okay. No. I came out in 68. I guess that was 65. Okay. And um, so they put my picture in the newspaper, and so he tried to get me to come out my freshman year and my sophomore year, my junior year. Finally, at the end of my junior year, um, my boyfriend was going to Europe, and my roommate was going to do something else. So I thought, well, maybe I'll try it, and my parents were very much in favor of of it because they said, you know, you, this is something you may regret for the rest of your life if you don't do it. Get it out of your system and then come back and finish yeah. your studies. I was an art major. So, and it was very funny because all around the dormitory, people would come and say, it's Hollywood calling again. It was like a big joke. And I think uh, before I went out, I never really had any intention of staying. I thought i will go out for three months, maybe do a couple of commercials, and then come back home.
5: And then so, the, the rest is history. They might yeah. say, but tell us what did happen. When you got there.
1: Well, I went into contract to a studio about the third week that I was out in Hollywood, and um, signed. Uh, I was put into contract for three hundred and fifty dollars a week, which at that time was a lot of money. I mean, I I was going to school, and my parents were giving me
0: three hundred fifty dollars a week. I guess would be like six hundred today, maybe seven fifty. I don't. I don't know. I'm not on no, math. So somebody
1: can, I don't know, maybe two hundred dollars a month or one hundred and fifty dollars yeah. a month. So all of a sudden, three hundred and fifty dollars a week. Yeah. I thought, for what? I mean, what am I going to do? So, so that's very interesting. So what? So what she doesn't about say about three weeks or a month after I was under contract to do my. Um. Um.
3: But while you were doing that, you led the very.
0: So this is um. Well, what she doesn't say is that While she
3: you were was doing that. You led the very. Int-
0: um, she was interested in this visual art thing as well, as acting and modeling. Um, which she, which she, in, at, at the end of her life, gets to actually do. Which is, that's really, one of the reasons I love that th- this and and, and the. Um, and it's again that idea that inclusivity, um, bringing in all the different forms, you know, and, and the the popular and the unpopular and the and the um, the fine art and the and the pop art. And so I thought it'd be fun, you know, it's um. To play some 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 other clips that kind of related. This is Di- 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 Diane Dian von, first talking about Warhol, and I thought it was interesting to hear a socialite is what the term was for that. Or her, I believe, um, in talking about the 70s and kind of the, all these things are sort of, you know, examples. And I wanted to go because I talked a little about Bresson, I wanted to go in the other direction, wanted to go in a very um, more, as I say, poppy, popish, popular direction a little bit. And so, this is a kind of just this guy talking to
3: Interesting life of a social life. In the 70s in New York, you're meeting with Andy Warhol and other people. What was that life like? Everybody famous who was young was a friend of yours. Well, like. New
4: York City in the 70s was many things. For one thing, it was very dirty, it was very dangerous, and it was very cheap. And therefore, uh, a lot of artists were here. It was a very exciting time. It was a time that people wanted freedom. We, we thought, our generation thought, we wanted okay. freedom, yeah. which of course we didn't. Uh, and it was it was fun. And there were a lot of creative people, and Andy Warhol was everywhere. And uh, there was a lot of other people, and, and it was fun. But I mean, it's always fun when you're young.
3: So Andy Warhol said, hey, I'll paint a picture of you. Was that happening a lot?
4: Uh, Andy Warhol did my first portrait one night very late in the, and he, but he was looking for a white wall because he would take a Polaroid and then he would use the Polaroid and, 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 and paint from there and, the, but, and he, was, he needed a white wall and in my, office, in my home they had no white wall so we went to the kitchen and because the white wall in my kitchen was so tiny I lifted my arm and that was the first time he painted me. Yeah. And then he painted me later for a show that he was planning to do in the 80s called Beauties.
3: And did he, did he give you the paintings, or he?
4: He gave me, okay, the first one, I, he gave me one, I bought two. The second time he gave me one, I bought none. Hmm. And, and when he died, I bought them all. There you
0: have it. I'm going to turn this off because again, this TV, I, I, I like this TV, but it, this system that I bought into is always yanking, you can't pause anything, it doesn't want, I think in their, in their, in their wisdom, they feel that they're saving some kind of energy or something, or you know, I don't know, but it's so ugly what they choose to go to, their the channel, you know, all the, so I just turned the the damn thing off. And so I'm just gonna (laughs) just gonna unhook this and move it. But it's fun, you know I like showing popular things. I like showing all kinds of things. I mean I, I so So back in the late nineties there were, uh, Charles Jenks, the architecture architect as well as architectural critic, wrote up you know for beginners type book this is what is postmodernism but as you can see it's the it's a thin kind of um thin um I really wish he hadn't passed because I, he was on my, he would be on our our dream list, of course. But um, um, it is a condensed version, so the, so the examples are are few. Here, um, so that's a the beginners or. But then I finally, here we go. This is his real book. This is one of the, again, the volume and mass. A lot of volume, a lot of mass here. Doorstop. This is. Rizzoli put this out. Now, there's a lot of, I mean, I don't even know how to, how to, um, um. um Yeah, I think we should save that for another a future episode where we can There's some Alex Katz paintings in here and there's some um, There's some there's some Steve Holly, so Steve Holly is a painter, you know, and he uses them. In, um, and this is a really large paint of Steve Holly. And again, this is, you know, a nude, a figure in a room. Right? it's figure it's figuration it's figural it's not abstract and it is long and in, you know architecture um, he's an architect so he's you know um, here's a building at rice university uh texas i think uh just to show an example of the uh, the plan and then the building there it there it is And you know what makes that building at Rice not a modern building, a postmodern building, is, is all kinds of things like, um, well, um, it announces what the entrance is. The entrance isn't hidden. You know, in a modernist box, you're not you don't you're not supposed to decorate. You're not supposed to announce anything. It's all one. Kind of one thing, if I can put it that way. And this building there's recesses. It looks almost like they tried to copy Oxford University from, the you know 17th, 17th or 18th century, you know a little bit. And that's another thing too is that postmodern people will borrow or steal or take things that are older, like using a a a nude figure for example, or a person using a person altogether, you know. so if you think about the sculptures Keith was doing—a sculpture of a, of of Farrah, Farrah Fawcett, or himself—compare that to a Henry Moore sculpture, or a Klaus Oldenburg, or different you know sculptures that are Well, there's not a, an obvious figure, you know, obvious. Um. And so that's kind of kind of the spirit. Um, the phrase that um, this is the more um, severe. This is um, this book really is volume and here. This is a more um, philosophic uh, Leotard's take on it, which is his famous phrase: "is an incredulity towards grand narrative." Which is a, a much nicer way of saying disbelief in the big story or a single story or a singular exclusive story. Like say overcoming something would be a modernist might say that a story, you know, but these are, these are very, again, these are uh, crude simplifications and there are many counter examples and there are many things that don't fit, uh, of course into these um formulations and taxonomies right and the only reason why i'm discussing them is just a way to kind of organize reality and you know organize an episode like this one um in which i want to talk about different things um so It's interesting to think about, um, of course. Opening things up, opening this book up. That's why in my ad for this episode, I had the two record albums. The album from the '50s, you know the. I had the. I had the album from the '70s. The '70s. Look at that, beautiful, just a. And then I had. Um, Actually, I don't think this is, I think this is 1949. You know, 48, 49. RCA Victor. These kind of, these two kind of, um, these are different wor- worlds. These are, there's a different, different, um, different ways, you know, of presenting music. So you could present music and you can, you know, say we're going to present music. Just like in a book, you present a book, you have a cover. So this book is, is from the mid-80s, you know. And we turn it around and we look at this, you know. Um. And so since it's from the from the from the mid 80s, it's a, it says that you know it has, it has some 70s things stuck in it. Like the fonts. It's a little bit late 70s. Um, he says, Contrary to common belief, postmodernism is neither anti modernist nor reactionary. It accepts the discoveries of the 20th century. In fact, by definition, it has to because it's interested in the world. So if, if, if I'm right, that it's world, world approaching rather than world denying, it's got to be interested in all sorts of things, you know, by definition. Um, but it doesn't start from a, any principle. Like, it's not a principle. It's, it's, it was tired and, and, and fatigued with with the big story, the big principle. You say, well, we're not going to have any ornamentation on a building. We're not going to have no you know everything has to be a mansard roof. they were sick of that they didn't they were sick of having a flat mansard roof you know or a um I don't know sick of having a, sick of having a, a front door that doesn't look like a front door. There's this really funny story it's actually uh Tom Wolf' were talking about. He was at in a building. He couldn't find where the where the entrance was because the entrance is hidden. Um, It has has kind of an alienating effect on the person at the building, you know. And and of course, the one of those many reasons why you would not want to uh, uh, why you want all your doors to be multiple doors and no, is that you, the people that made that building were were opposed to having anything grand. You don't want a grand entrance or any kind of entrance because that seems unfair and inegalitarian, right? You want to call into question the back door and the front door and make it all the same. It's more equal. These are just, these are ideological ideas and ideals that were part of modernism in the modern period, which is a long period. And we're still in it, like in a sense, you know, even though we're in a postmodern period, there's tons of artwork now that that's yearning, uh, wants to go back, and then there's people, there's uh, people that want to go back even before modern. They're they're traditionalists, R- right-wingers of all kinds and all sorts of ideas. And these are all things in the world, you know. And and uh, that's uh, kind of what what we're dealing with here. And so I thought it would be fun to do a little episode, bring back Farah and. Um, um, I don't know if I should tell my 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 fair faucet story about um well I, I went I, I went to see her play Extremities in, in New York. I was with Keith Hercules and my dad. Keith Hercules was a chemist for Aubrey Organics, was the chemist for many, many, many years. Worked on many formulations, and we had we went to a matinee. Of extremities, and extremities is a, is a is a play, and she did a movie version, I think, in which she plays someone attacked by a, a rapist in the course of the play, an, an intruder, and then there's the, I won't say what happens in the play, but anyhow, it's watching this play, and a mentally, we would say disturbed man, jumped out out of his seat and stormed the stage, trying to save. Veriffasa thought she was in real danger interesting experience actually that going to that play and seeing that disrupt the the um, the uh, proceedings performance um, got me to thinking a lot about of course questions of representation and and make-believe and real and uh, emotional consequences and actually things that I, I feel today people are a little bit they're uh, maybe more concerned with than they should be, but that's okay. Um, but that's kind of a, that's kind of where we are. And so you got Arturo Toscanini looking very looking very serious here in the 1940s, conducting Beethoven's Ninth. And so I'm doing a lot of things uh, coming up with the show, with Journey Journeyman Steve podcast. We got. Uh I look forward to March and um I look forward to part two because my book lunch, The Life of the Mind by Hannah Arant is over a thousand views. So I want to say thank you to all of you. It's amazing to get that many views. And I hope, you know, maybe hopefully part two of that book will will garner the same numbers, you know. Um I I enjoy doing that and there's more to come. And there's more books to come and more um ideas and more guests. I talked to a very very interesting architect the other day. Um I'm going to come out with a special series of episodes about one movie and and I'm I'm finalizing don't want to say the names yet. Well, it's kind of it will you'll see it'll come but that's going to be many series. I talked to a, an, a, an act, actress. I talked to a director. I talked to both of them, and uh, and then we took a pause because of the the much needed strike, right? And the strike's over, and you got to regroup, as we say. And now we can meet. We couldn't meet then, and you know, you got to, that's part of life. Look, life, um, you know, life. You do have uh, seasons, and you do have. Uh, interruptions and as I said in my concert last Friday I think I said you know if the thing comes apart if this song we're doing falls apart we'll just put it back together that's that's what that is you know so maybe it's like housework I don't know it never you know you come back to it don't know really that's a that's a metaphor I don't know if that works or not but um um but thank you and uh I will try to do these aesthetic series a little more frequently, not just once a month. And so I don't know when the next one will be. Part six will be maybe in a couple weeks. And I already have some of that stuff figured out. There's some surprises coming. And so um, I thank you for joining us and uh, have a good rest of the week.